Well, hey, we are continuing our series. We're in week two of a series called The New Life. And basically what we're trying to do is talk about the different important moments in our lives with Christ, what it means to walk with God and different things that are involved in that. Last week, we talked about how Jesus changed the world with two words, which were follow me. Some people chose to follow Jesus. Other people did not. But those who did grabbed hold of something new. Jesus talked about a new life that we have when we serve him, being born again. When he was talking to Nicodemus, we read in Romans chapter 6 about the new life that we live in Christ, dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so we're looking at these experiences along that road. What does that new life look like? What are we trying to grab hold of? Because we shouldn't just be just living life and having a couple religious ideas, but there is a life of living for God, that new life we want to grab hold of that in its fullness. And today, we're going to talk about something that's kind of at the beginning of the process, and we're going to talk about counting the costs. Is the kingdom of God worth sacrificing for? The United States is worth sacrificing for. People have paid heavy prices to defend the United States of America. What about the kingdom of God? Is the kingdom of God worth sacrificing for? worth deciding to serve? Is it worth it? The new life, the life of following Christ, the born-again life, involves counting the costs and making a decision on whether or not to truly follow Christ, to truly lay down your life at the feet of Jesus and say, yes, Lord, I will do what you show me to do. I will walk in obedience to what you call me to do. I will give my life for your cause and your purpose. So this is a very important part. Obviously, it's at the beginning of the process of this new life, making a decision to follow Christ. I remember back in the old days, we used to sing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Remember that one? That was a good one. I like that one. And uh, it just helps the individual realize, yes, this is something I am committed to. I've made a commitment to follow Jesus. I'm not turning back. I'm going forward. But we need to count the costs. We need to look at it and see, is this something we're prepared to do? And make sure that we grab a hold of that. You know, because eventually we do have to face this decision and too many people are sort of in decision limbo. You know, I feel like there are people who haven't really made a decision to follow Christ. They sort of, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess I believe in God and whatever, you know, like, but they haven't really decided to follow Jesus. They just sort of kind of have a little bit of an idea of a little bit of faith about something and maybe I'll go to church on Easter or whatever. Like, and that that's not it. That's not what we're going for. You know, uh, sort of following Jesus is no good. We want to decide to follow Jesus, make the commitment, grab hold of the goodness of God, the good things of God, make sure that we're grabbing a hold of it in its fullness, not in this decision limbo. So today we're going to talk about counting the costs, kind of that early process of evaluating whether or not we're going to go or we're going to hold back. So I got a few points. Point number one, the new life, this born again life starts with you making a decision to follow Jesus. That's where it starts. 
Before that, there is this evaluation period. There is this decision-making process, but this starts, the new life starts with that decision to follow Jesus. Lots of people had conversations with Jesus. They interacted with Jesus. They asked him questions. He told them things. And then later they decided to follow Jesus or they decided not to follow Jesus. But their new life with Christ started when they decided to follow Jesus. For some people, this is a quick and easy process. It just sort of happens real quick. They just know I'm going to follow Jesus and they just decide right there. My wife was four years old. She's like, yep, I'm going to follow Jesus. And she doesn't remember a time where she wasn't following Jesus. Now, I think there can be some challenges with that, you know, but that is also a very beautiful thing where you can just live your life following Jesus and have it be an easy, quick, simple decision. Yep, I'm in. Now, for other people like me, it can be an arduous process that takes lots of time. There's lots of battles. There's lots of struggles along the way. There's lots of confusion and trying to grab hold of things. And, and I think there is a little bit of a blessing in going through the arduous process in that you've fought the battles and you're firm on your decision and you're ready to go knowing that, hey, I've counted the costs. I've gone through the difficulty. I've, I've faced the things that I can face and I'm, yes, I am going to follow Jesus. I have decided there's no turning back. If no one goes with me, still I will follow. You know, it can be an arduous process for some. It can be an easy process for others. But new life starts with you making a decision to follow Christ. I want to tell a little bit of my story real quick if you haven't heard it. Basically, you know, I grew up in a non-Christian home. I grew up without any teaching on the things of God. And I always kind of wondered if God was real. You know, people say everyone has a God-shaped hole in their heart. And if I did, I was completely unaware of it. You know, I, I didn't care if God existed or not. It didn't matter to me. I didn't feel like I had a horse in the race. I just thought, well, if God is real, that'd be good information to have. Last week, I talked a little bit about Orville, uh, who witnessed to me in Chicago. Then less than a year later, somebody else was talking to me about Jesus. And I'll give the short version, but... They basically, they gave me a Bible to read, started me in the book of Matthew, and uh, I'm like, well, yeah, I had made the commitment to go ahead and seek, you know, I'll go ahead and read this. I mean, if, if God is real, I'd be good information to have, you know, I'd, I'd like to know. So I went ahead and started reading the Bible, and one of the things I read was in the book of Matthew chapter 7, because I started in Matthew, and in Matthew chapter 7, it says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find Knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And I read those two verses and I thought, well, there you go. I can apply the scientific method to this because if I ask, knock, and seek and nothing happens, you know, then I'll know. And if something does happen, well, then I'll know also. Everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I thought, well, if that's true, I'm going to go ahead and find out. So I decided to pray. So it was about midnight. I'm driving the old pickup way back in the day, and uh, it's a starry night, you know, dark night. And I just prayed my first prayer in my life, I said, Lord, there's this guy, he gave me a book and he says, it's your book. And in it, it says, seek and you will find, 
uh, you know, knock and the door will be opened. I said, well, I'm knocking. And uh, as I was driving down the road, of course, I had my eyes open because I'm praying while I'm driving. So then I saw up in the sky, two hands appear folded like this and then open up and then disappear. And I felt like it was a vision, not like there was actually hands there, but, you know, in that dark night. And it was a very startling and kind of scary experience. And I didn't really know what to do with that. And I didn't tell anybody for a couple of years. I had to go through a process. I didn't really have the structure to understand, oh, look, God has responded to me. And yay, I can be happy now and go serve Jesus. I didn't really know any of that, what that even looked like. And so I didn't tell anybody. I was very concerned about the situation. You know, there's a whole lot more going on than what I understood previously. I was 19 years old at the time. And I just was like, man, what's going on here? So I spent a long time trying to figure out what's happening. Okay, you know, either I'm insane, which is apparently a legit possibility, or there's a God that responds to people who are driving down the road at midnight, you know, which is more likely that there's a lunatic driving down the road at midnight or that there's a, a creator God of the universe who pays attention to people when they pray and responds to them. You know, I was thinking like, well, maybe the first one's more likely. And so I had to go through that whole process, try to figure out, you know, am I just a stark raving mad or is there really a, a God like this? And I ended up, you know, uh, I got really depressed because it was like, I'm trying to figure this out. And, you know, if there's heaven and hell are real, like that's a disaster. You know, like I don't want anybody going to hell. Like what? And so trying to figure all that stuff out. And it was, it was just a very challenging season in life. And it was a struggle. It was difficult. I ended up you know, studying philosophy in order to try to figure out, you know, philosophy is a great thing to study if for the right people, <laughs> for the wrong people is very unhelpful. But for me, it was great. I loved it in a, you know, secular college university environment. For me, it was the perfect environment because you can study the limits of human knowledge. Can we trust our own reasoning? Can we trust our perceptions? What's real? What isn't real? You know, studying all of that was extremely helpful for me. And then I began to kind of make a decision to follow Jesus, but it was sort of a process. You know, it wasn't just like I had a vision and then I'm going to follow Jesus. It was like I had a vision and now I need to figure out what's going on. It did certainly start a prayer life for me. I began to pray regularly. I prayed mostly at night after the day was over. I wanted to talk to God about my day that already happened and know that I was going to face God with how I handled my day because I had various things in my life that I knew that if the God was anything like people have portrayed him, you know, I'm doing things that, that God isn't going to be in favor of. And so I, I had to, you know, kind of from my own discipline, pray at night. As time went on, I got to that place of, you know what? God has done this for me. I'm going to serve him fully and wholeheartedly. I'm not holding back. I'm going, I'm going on this. But it was several years of process, of seeking, of making a decision. And then I got to the place where I was really able to grab hold of the things of God and go from being a seeker who believed in the existence of God into someone who was a disciple of Jesus Christ and trying to follow the ways of God. So point number one, 
New life starts with you making the decision to follow Jesus. For some, that can be quick and easy. For others, it can be a long, arduous journey. And that brings me to point number two. I give you permission, if you feel like you need it, (laughs) to count the costs. You don't have to decide before you have the information that you need in order to make a decision. Go ahead and have permission to count the costs. Go ahead and look at this. Go ahead and and see what does it mean to follow Jesus? Do I believe this is real? You know, do I believe this is good? Go ahead and count the costs. What does it mean? You know, you own the decision. You go ahead and grab hold of this for you. Don't make a decision because you're being pressured by somebody because I tell you to, though if you're going to take it from me, Jesus is real, go ahead and follow him. Uh, But you need to then personally decide to trust me or trust Jesus or however you want to put it. It's your decision. You need to own it. You need to grab hold of it. So go through the process of counting the costs. You know, before you make any big decision, it's not a bad idea to look at it from all the different angles. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a bad idea. Go ahead and do that. And in fact, Jesus encourages this in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, we're going to pick it up in the middle of the conversation in verse 27. Luke chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says something that he says a good number of times. We'll read 27 through 33. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So he's telling them, look, there's a cost to this. And he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So Jesus is saying that the cost is high. Go ahead and evaluate it. Be like the person who's building a tower. Be like the person who's going to go into battle. Look and see what it's going to take to succeed. Look and see what this is all about and then make a decision. Go ahead and count the costs. Jesus encouraged us to count the costs. You got to look and see if this is something that you're able to do. It's a big commitment. So I give you permission, if you feel like you need it, <laughs> to go ahead and count the costs. What I worry about is people thinking that, oh, I'm, I'm failing God because I'm, you know, I have to count the costs. If you, in your heart, you're not ready to make that full commitment, that's just the reality of it, go ahead and go through your process. Go ahead and look and see. Go ahead and seek. Go ahead and find. Go ahead and knock on that door. Go ahead and see what's what's behind door number one. You know, like you want to go look. Don't just guess. Go look. I give you permission to count the costs. And I got to tell you, if you count the costs well, you will see that it's worth it. So that brings us to our next point. Make sure that you count both the sacrifices and the blessings together. Count the costs, the sacrifices, and the blessings. The biggest mistake I see people making is they tend to focus on one or the other, but not mix them together and get a full picture. Some people just look at 
the sacrifices and it just seems like too big of a price. Like, man, I'm going to I'm going to lose my life. I'm going to give up everything for Jesus. Like that verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. They're like, oh, I don't think I can do that. And it just seems too heavy. But don't forget what you receive. Yes, we give up our lives, but the Lord gives them back to us better than they were when we gave our lives to him. Like he gives us a better life in exchange for the old life. Yes, we're crucified with Christ, but we get to live that new life. So don't let yourself only focus on being crucified with Christ. Also try to understand what is it that we receive. And I got to tell you, there is abundant life now and there is everlasting life in the age to come. Now there's challenges and there's hardships in following Jesus. You know, that's true. But don't only focus on the sacrifices and the hardships and the difficulties when you're counting the cost, because then you will miss what the whole picture is. And then, of course, on the other side, don't only look at the blessings. If all you do is look at the blessings, then you can end up where we were last week in the parable of the sower, either being the shallow soil or being the weedy soil. You can think, oh, this is going to be great and easy and everything's going to be perfect in my life from now on. And then guess what? It isn't. Life is full of hardships and pain and suffering. Jesus can be with you through those things and he can work amazing things in the midst of those difficulties, but you're still going to have to face hardships and sorrows and pains as you walk with Jesus. So if you only look at the blessings, you can end up like the shallow or weedy soil. Let's look at both. Let's make sure we look at the sacrifices. Now, for me, the sacrifices were easy to see. And I was being young, a young male uh, you know, I'm ready for sacrifice. I'm ready for purpose. You know, and I was a, a wrestler and all that, you know, so it was all about, you know, suffering and trying to reach a goal and that sort of a deal. And so I just kind of took that mentality and put it on my faith. And it was all about sacrifice. And for me, that was something that I was content with. You know, I figured that was fine. And then I found out as some years went on that actually Jesus is a good shepherd you know, that he leads us into pasture and water and safety and, and there's blessings involved in walking with the Lord that it's, it's actually a good life. You know, there are martyrs and all that stuff, you know, so don't want to pretend that it's only just simple again. But I saw the sacrifices. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't need to have a worldly successful life. I don't need money. I don't need anybody to notice what I'm doing. I don't care. I'm just going to serve Jesus. I'll take my treasures in heaven. That's going to be great. And I ended up accidentally sacrificing more than what God actually asked me to sacrifice. Now I'm kind of having to try to make up for that, you know, get myself prepared to retire in that one sense. I mean, you don't retire from Christianity, but my role is going to change when I get older, I'm presuming, though I plan to be here for a while. But I didn't see the blessings. And so kind of the harsh interpretation of following Jesus that I had, I could see if you tried to lay that on somebody else, like, they'd be like, oh, man, I can't do that. But they would only be seeing that harsh Spartan interpretation. But there is the blessings. You know, there are all these amazing things. Like, you get your sin and shame taken away. Hallelujah. You get purpose. You know, and sometimes 
One of the neat things about purpose that I've experienced is that, you know, I grew up not being able to read. You know, when I was in second grade, they found out I couldn't read at all. And so this was a big disaster. I'd been fooling them because I could memorize the stories and just say them based on the pictures and stuff. But when they asked me to read first and not memorize the story, I was out. In third grade, my teacher found out I couldn't write my name. And my, I could write Mike, but I couldn't write Michael and I couldn't write my last name, Stevens. I couldn't write. So I had to stay in from recess, write my name a hundred times, you know, cause I couldn't write my name. I was in special classes until sixth grade. You know, I had to get up and leave during reading because I couldn't do the work. And then when they brought me in and I got kind of mainstreamed in sixth grade, uh, I still didn't have to do the homework and stuff cause I just wasn't capable of doing it. You know, I, had incredible struggles with reading and it was super traumatic trying to do that. Cause I remember, you know, you'd have to stand up and read in class and I, I just, it was embarrassing uh, in front of everybody. And uh, one of the things that I have now is the ability to read as part of my purpose in Christ. I read scriptures to people. I read the word of God to people as my job. Like the Lord has taken that negative experience of my life which created insecurity and all kinds of problems and brought me into a place where that's been redeemed and now is a place of strength. And, you know, so there are these incredible blessings that we need to make sure that we see as well as the sacrifices. So when you're counting the cost, make sure that you're honest and that you count both the sacrifices and the blessings as best as you can. Then. Here's my last point before the closing point. It is going to boil down to faith at your time of decision. You know, I was someone I wanted to know. I wanted to know everything. I didn't want to have like this, like, well, I kind of not really sure. So I'm just going to trust God with this. I wanted to know. I, you know, I endeavored to uh, prove the Bible verse by verse from Genesis chapter one, verse one, all the way to the end of Revelation. Like this was my plan. Did not go well, you know. Eventually, it will come down to faith. Now, you can have gathered a whole bunch of information and done a whole lot of seeking, and then it will boil down to faith. Or you can have that short process and just say, you know what, I'm giving my life to Christ and trust the Lord and follow him. But it's going to boil down to faith at your time of decision. I encourage inquiring and seeking. That is good, but proof is elusive. You know, I've I've spent a lot of time looking for proof and realized it boils down to faith. You know, you got things like dark matter and, you know, 11-dimensional theoretical, you know, physics proposals, and you got multiple universes and parallel universe things, all that stuff. And all of that, of course, suggests a spiritual realm. You know, it's something that supports the idea of a reality beyond the reality that we can see, but it doesn't prove everything. It sure helps, but we still have to put in some faith. There's various different arguments for the existence of God that I tried to come up with as the years went by. And one of them quickly that I'll share, uh, because it's something that people have with the counting of the cost, is the whole free will question. 
You know, like some people think that, well, if God is real and and he is sovereign and he's in control, well, then we don't have free will because God orchestrates everything. So I don't want to believe in God. I want to have my own autonomy and my elbow room and go ahead and make sure that I'm I'm my own person and have my free will. Well, you know, I, I think it, in looking into this, I see it's very clear that that in order for us to have free will, there has to be a a spiritual component to who we are. Because if we're just matter in motion and there's no spiritual realm, it's just regular, you know, atheism worldview, then, you know, we're just matter in motion subject to natural law and free will is an illusion. However, if we have something about us that is not subject to natural law, that is not part of this world, then that is not something that is determined by that natural law. And we can actually tap into that to make real decisions and go ahead and have some free will. So I believe free will is only possible if we have a spiritual component to who we are. And, you know, I think that's a really good argument because it sure seems like we have free will. And if that's not possible from an atheistic perspective, then we see that it's very, very possible from a spiritual perspective. So there we go. Another thing we can look at as we do our inquiries, like I kind of mentioned earlier, proving the Bible out verse by verse, is that we need to look for internal consistency of the faith. Now, some people think there's contradictions in the Bible. One of the chapters we read from Luke chapter 14 includes one of those. I'm not going to read that because that's like a whole nother sermon, but we did deal with it in our daily devotions. So you can go to daily devotions in Luke chapter 14, but verses 25 and 26 of chapter 14 of Luke are some verses that uh, one of my, probably my favorite professor in graduate school used as a tremendous contradiction in the Bible, Luke 14, 25 and 26. And I don't believe it's a contradiction, but man, you got to work on that one to kind of see it. You know what I mean? So even when we look at the internal consistencies of the scriptures, there are things that can look like contradictions and we have to work through it. So it, it isn't just this clear, easy, simple picture. It doesn't prove it. And you can have signs from heaven. Like I had my experience with that vision from God. I've had other uh, profound spiritual experiences. And I've seen people have profound spiritual experiences and still walk away from the faith and still, you know, like kind of forget that they had those experiences. And so there are all these things that can lead us to God, but it finally boils down to choosing to follow Jesus by faith. It boils down to faith. We're not going to get to proof. We're not going to, I mean, we can have a whole lot of really good arguments, which, you know, I feel are very much there. It's not irrational to believe in God. You're not making an irrational faith decision. I believe it's very rational to believe in God and to trust the scriptures and to, you know, I just feel like there's plenty of evidence, but it's not proof. So it boils down to faith. And I, I give you permission, if you're on the other side, I give you permission, if you feel like you need it, to be able to decide to follow Jesus by faith without complete proof. I give you that permission as well. So if you feel like you need it. All right, we're going to finish up here today talking about counting the costs. Again, what I want to avoid is a bunch of people. I, I want to avoid you being stuck in that place of decision limbo where you're sort of following Jesus, but not really. That isn't the place you want to be. You want to count the costs and then make that decision by faith to follow Jesus. Go through your process. Let's look at 
the disciple Thomas talked about in John chapter 20. An amazing thing, Thomas, which is my middle name, my dad's name, my wife's maiden name. I got Thomas all over the place. Doubting Thomas, as they call him. I really feel like Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap with that because he was a, a courageous disciple, a courageous apostle, but he had trouble believing something that was really hard to believe. And so let's read that account. So we pick it up in John chapter 20, verse 19, and this is the day of the empty tomb, that Sunday in the morning they found the empty tomb and, you know, all these things happen. And then that night, Sunday night, Jesus appears to his apostles as they're meeting together. So here we go. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So Jesus came and he shows himself to the disciples, the apostles. To Actually, it's the 10. Judas isn't there and Thomas also isn't there, which we see in verse 24. So we drop to verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So the 10 say to Thomas, Jesus appeared to us. He's alive. He showed us his hand, his side. You know, like he's alive. It's amazing. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He is refusing to believe in the resurrected Christ. Like, that, you know, if you've studied any Christian theology, that's a serious problem. Uh, so, but he's not kicked out of the group. As we pick it up here, verse 26, we continue on. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So Thomas wasn't kicked out. Thomas was like, you, you don't believe any of us, and you have denied the risen Christ. Away with you. He, like, they didn't do that. They're like, ah, you know, he'll, he'll figure it out. Uh, and so Thomas is with them. They're praying again. They're meeting again. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So we see just a, a repeat of what happened the week before. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas does not believe the 10, his friends that he's been living with for three years following Jesus. He refuses to believe them. And then Jesus appears for a special time for Thomas. And I believe that what was really going on was that Thomas was being given a special opportunity to receive the blessing described in verse 29. There's a special blessing. And a lot of that, as far as I can tell, is not having to delay as you wrangle through all the different things, but you can just go with God into the good things that he's got for you. You don't have to spend all these years in the battle and, you know, in all of that, deciding whether or not you're going to rebel against God or go with God. You can, if you can just go, 
That's a blessing. That's a beautiful thing. Thomas was given that opportunity, but he failed at that point. But Thomas did see Jesus and proclaim, my Lord and my God. There was no turning back for Thomas after that point. He was serving Jesus wholeheartedly. He was believing in the power of the resurrection. He had decided to follow Jesus, and he had gotten more evidence than most people get. It's like, I feel like I've gotten more evidence than most people get, but that blessing is still there. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There is that. If you can take hold of the blessing of verse 29, I applaud you. If you can believe without having seen, then I think it's going to go easier for you. If you need to count the costs for a while, like I did, then very good. I pray that you would do that well, that you wouldn't misunderstand as you're counting the costs, because I firmly believe that it is well worth it. Living a life for Christ, living in a way of learning and applying the ways of God in how we live, it's well, well worth it. It's beautiful and wonderful. And so I pray that you count the costs well, and I pray that when the time is right, that you'll know and not be stuck in you know, seeking for forever, analysis paralysis. But when the time is right, you'll know and you'll go make a decision for Christ. So let's pray. We'll finish up. And uh, I encourage you to get to a place of closure with regards to that decision of whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. Work through the seeking process or make that decision if it's time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to follow you. Thank you that forgiveness and new life is available to each one as we ask you for forgiveness and we ask you to be part of your kingdom and your family. You are, you've already paid the price that we could have that. And so thank you, Lord, for that. I pray you would guide us in this. If we have made a decision to follow you, even if it was decades and decades ago, Lord, help us to make that uh, commitment firm in our hearts and to not fade, to not fail, but to stand strong in our commitment to follow you. And Lord, for those who are in that process of needing to count the costs, they're right in the middle of it right now. Lord, I pray you would guide them by your spirit. You'd help them to see both the sacrifices and the blessings so that they can have a good enough picture in order to choose to follow you by faith. Lord, help us to walk forward in that commitment to accept you as Lord and to then live our lives for you. So Lord, encourage us with this. Bless us and help us to stand strong for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.